Good morning, everyone. This week's parsha is parsha Tetzave. Today we are not doing a live class. This is a recorded version of a shear that we would normally deliver at 9:30 a.m. on Wednesday morning live on Zoom. Today we would just be recording this class and sending it out on the WhatsApp chats, but there will be no live version to this class. This parsha, Parsha's Tetzave, and indeed the entire month of Adar 1, is sponsored by Alex and Danielle Galski and family. They are sponsoring this month in memory of their beloved grandparents, Abraham Bela, Guillermo and Dora, and also in loving memory of Uncle Alberto Galski. The Galski family is a true credit to our community, and we would um, be greatly uh, remiss if we didn't mention how fabulous both Danielle and Alex are uh, in their family life, and that it's uh, an honor that they are choosing uh, our class to honor their ancestors as part of their commemoration and appreciation of their ancestry. We wish the Nishamos of Abraham, Bela, Guillermo, and Dora should have an aliyah along with Uncle Alberto Galski. Parshas Tetzavah continues the discussion in the Torah of various details related to the Mishkan or the tabernacle. Now, one of the overarching questions of the entire narrative in the Torah of Parshas Tetzavah is that there is great detail that is conveyed, both in terms of the measurements, the utensils, the materials, as well as the kohanim and the clothing and the services related to installing the kohanim into the service of the tabernacle. Now, a big overall question is why does the Torah in fact spend so much time outlining the details of the Mishkan, including the various procedures that were necessary to install the Kohanim and clothe them properly for the service of the Mishkan, if in fact the Mishkan is a temporary structure that will ultimately become null with the building of the permanent structure called the Holy Temple or the Beis HaMikdash when the Jews are fully settled with a king in Eretz Yisrael. This question was actually posed to me this past Shabbos where I served as a scholar in residence in Columbus, Ohio by Dan Lebovitz, and it's a great question. I've had that question before, and it's an important question. It's a question that needs an answer because the Torah has so many verses that are dedicated to all the various descriptions of the above-mentioned clothing, implements, and the services of the Kohanim for specifically the tabernacle or the Mishkan. In addition to that overarching question is another fascinating question, which I think deserves also tremendous attention and needs explanation, and that is that it is well known that the prohibitions, the labors that are disallowed 
that we are not allowed to perform on Shabbos are specifically the very same labors which were necessary for the construction of the Mishkan. So in other words, the very things that we are not allowed to do on Shabbos are the exact things that the Torah requires us to do for the construction of the tabernacle. Now that in itself is interesting, and we could ask what's the reason for that correlation? But I think a better way to ask that question is that if in fact all the prohibited acts of Shabbos are exactly what's needed to construct the Mishkan, why is it that the Torah really does not deal directly with the prohibited melachos of, let's say, for example, planting and selecting and sowing, so, so many writing, so many things that the Torah prohibits, the Torah for Shabbos, the Torah does not specifically mention in relation to Shabbos. When it comes to Shabbos, there's only one labor that's particularly mentioned, which is the labor of kindling, lighting fire. But every other action that is prohibited on Shabbos is alluded to in a general sentence which says, don't perform any work on Shabbos that you do the other six days of the week, but no specifics are given. And everything that we have to understand about what those prohibitions are only is derived by that which the Torah tells us to do when it comes to constructing the tabernacle. So why would it be that when it comes to Shabbos, the Torah is not specific, and that the way that the Torah teaches us the details, the specific actions of that which is prohibited on Shabbos is taught to us by way of telling us, construct the tabernacle, this is how you should build it, and we have to learn all of the necessary ingredients to construct the tabernacle as a sort of backdoor way of accessing what the Torah means when it comes to Shabbos, don't perform any of these activities on Shabbos. So those are two overarching questions. And one last general question, which we'll deal with today, is that at least according to some opinions, the presentation of the instructions of building the tabernacle is out of order in the Torah. And what that means is that chronologically speaking, when the Jews received the Torah at Mount Sinai, it was 40 days from the time of the construction of the great event of Mount Sinai until the Jewish people then built a golden calf. So in other words, the chronology of what happened the year that the Jewish people left Egypt is that they were standing at Mount Sinai in Rosh Chodesh Sivan. 40 days after that, they succumbed to the temptation of building a golden calf. It's only 80 days after that, which is some total 120 days after Mount Sinai, that according to many opinions, Rashi among them, that Hashem instructed regarding the building of the tabernacle. But yet, in the presentation in the Torah, in fact, we have the relation of the events of 
Mount Sinai in Parshas Yisro, and again at the end of Parshas Mishpatim, and then the Torah immediately moves into Parshios Teruma and Tetzava, outlining the construction materials, uh, including the clothing of the Kohanim and the installation that we have in our Parsha before the Torah ever mentions the golden calf. So the obvious question is, why should the Torah put it out of order? Even though it's okay, it doesn't violate the, the truth, the veracity of the Torah and its messaging, there has to be a reason why the Torah would choose to mention, and not only mention, but to very, very in clear and great detail describe everything to do with the tabernacle and the Kohanim before it ever speaks of the incident of the golden calf, if in fact, chronologically, first the golden calf happened, and then the instructions, as well as obviously the construction of the tabernacle happened. So these are our three questions. Number one, when it comes to our parsha, we're wondering about this idea that the um, Torah has all these sentences describing the building of the tabernacle, the details of all the implements and the clothing, etc., the Kohanim, and really it's only a temporary structure in the future, meaning from this point in history forward, the goal was to build the holy temple, which they did, and then there was a second one, and God willing, as we know, there will be a third one. But the fact is that the Mishkan was not permanent. So why does the Torah devote so much space to describing it? Number two, we're asking that we know that the prohibited acts of Shabbos are derived from all of the things necessary to build the tabernacle. And we're asking, why should the Torah choose to teach us about Shabbos in a roundabout manner, whereas in theory, what could happen is the Torah could tell us these are the prohibited actions to do on Shabbos, and we would then uh, know that, hey, they happen to be the same things as the actions that were necessary for the tabernacle itself, its construction, and all the materials and clothing, etc. So why does the Torah choose to teach us about Shabbos in a roundabout manner? And if we want, we could even further add to that question that it was prohibited to violate Shabbos to build a tabernacle. So seemingly Shabbos has a greater degree of seriousness because in many places the rabbis tell us that it's absolutely not allowed to violate Shabbos and even in order to build the sanctuary or the holy temple in the future, that's completely not allowed. So it would seem that Shabbos is more fundamental, more ikker if you will. So why does the Torah not mention the great details of Shabbos unto itself, and instead we derive it in a roundabout fashion from the Mishkan? And finally, we're pointing out that the chronology is definitely out of order according to many opinions, because according to most people, the chronology of events is Mount Sinai, Moshe comes down with the tablets and smashes them when the Jewish people build the golden calf. And only 80 days after that, which is 120 days after the giving of the Torah, that finally Hashem instructs the Jewish people regarding the Mishkan. And then, of course, it takes time to gather materials, etc., and build. So why is the Torah presenting it in a vastly different way by teaching us about Mount Sinai, then telling us about the Mishkan, and then telling us about the golden calf? Not to mention that the Torah then after the golden calf repeats again about the tabernacle 
and all the details of setting it up, etc. So I'd like to begin with a concept that I think is very important because it's something in our minds that we kind of play around with, but I don't think we ever fully acknowledge and address in a straightforward fashion. And that is the concept of the ideal, living in the ideal world. For many of us, we are not in ideal situations. Our employment may not be ideal, our background, our history, we may not have lived up to our potential, so we are therefore perhaps not our ideal situation. Our relationships, we may feel like we are not in an ideal situation. Any one of many, many factors in our life might feel to us like it's not ideal. And the therefore in most of our minds is, okay, listen, it's not ideal. But uh, it is what it is. Most people don't have a perfect life. And even though it's very rare for us to think, you know what, that was an ideal experience. That was an ideal moment. That was an ideal day that we had. That was an ideal week. And it's for sure harder to get to. That was an ideal year that we just had. We resign ourselves to a concept that says, listen, less than ideal is also really good. And let's not spend time on thinking about what would be ideal because that would prevent us from uh, either happiness now or an ability to focus now because we would perhaps be um, distracted or even worse, God forbid, maybe even down and depressed about the fact that our lives and all of our situations are not ideal. I think what the Torah is teaching us here is almost exactly the opposite. The Torah is telling us that insofar as the Jewish people and the relationship with Hashem are concerned, that which was not ideal definitely is what happened. Standing at Mount Sinai, achieving an unbelievable level of prophecy, and according to the rabbis, actually being able to be immortal and live forever is what was accomplished in the initial revelation of Hashem at Mount Sinai, speaking the Ten Commandments, we were not only on an emotional and mental high, we were literally at the precipice of living forever. That means that at least for the, these 40 days between Hashem appearing at Mount Sinai and the golden calf, we were meant at that point to live forever and overcome the penalty of death that was incurred by mankind with the original sin of man and woman eating from the tree of knowledge. That's incredible. And in the ideal world, what would have happened is the Jewish people would never have committed the sin of the golden calf and all the trials and tribulations of which we know today all too well would have been avoided, not to mention the countless tragedies in our national history. But nonetheless, the Torah is telling us that we cannot lose sight of the ideal. And even though for many of us, having in mind what the ideal situation would be, would challenge us, and we would be perhaps, perhaps we would be uncomfortable or saddened as we just mentioned a moment ago, if we don't have in mind that the ideal is what was meant to occur, we will never strive again to achieve the ideal. And that is a big problem. Because 
for many of us, whether it be in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, or even in our own self-demand of continued growth, self-education, and self-development, if we're not keeping in mind what the ideal would be, then we are not going to strive in the manner that we should. And ultimately, what the Torah is telling us here is that we are 100% obligated to have this in mind, because that's the only way that we are going to pursue the ultimate perfection and what is, God willing, going to be the future of our people. And so therefore, the Torah writes the parashios of Truma and Tetzaveh as though the golden calf never happened. Because we need to be able to have a depiction of the ideal of a relationship with Hashem that is unmarred by our betrayal of him and of a construction of a tabernacle that would be the stepping stone to the holy temple in the future, but that for right then would be the representation of the ultimate that could be achieved right then. And the Torah is telling us that that original intention on the part of Hashem to command us and to instruct us and to help us with the building of a first tabernacle, a mishkan, that would have been the ideal situation. Now, I'm not able to convey properly all the various nuances and teachings that the Torah tells us because I don't understand it all myself. But I'm convinced that the, the ways that the Torah describes the mishkan and all the implements in Parshios, Teruma, and Tetzave, including the ways in which the donation was supposed to happen, that the people were supposed to be so fully motivated, and all the various symbolisms of all the parts of the Mishkan, all the curtains, all the utensils, including the Kohanim and their installations, the names of the Jewish people as represented on the breastplate. I am not expert enough and wise enough to figure out all the nuances and, and messaging behind what this ideal relationship with Hashem is meant to be. But it is clear that the Torah does teach it to us without ever mentioning that the golden calf was a possibility at this point. And so therefore, I suggest that what the Torah is telling us is we do need to keep the ideal world in mind. And I'm suggesting that the reason is so that we strive for a self-development and a self-perfection to that end. And if we think about our relationships, we should not be resigned to a five out of 10, a seven out of 10, an eight out of 10. We should always be thinking about what are ways that I could advance this towards the ideal situation that I would want to have. And that now explains to us the messaging behind Shabbos. The Torah does not specifically delineate what is wrong and the specific prohibitions of the violations of Shabbos, because what the Torah is really trying to say is celebrate Shabbos. Of course, don't break Shabbos. And of course, breaking Shabbos is a horrible thing because the relationship of Shabbos is not about the don't do's. It's about the Shabbos. It's about the connection to Hashem. And the way that we know best clearly the dynamics of the relationship with Hashem 
is specifically through the construction of the Mishkan, through the construction of a place that will permanently house Hashem's presence among us. And even though the Mishkan itself was only temporary at this time, this was the ideal at this time. And what the Torah is telling us <coughs> is that given the temporary nature of the Jewish people traveling through the desert and the ability to achieve connection with Hashem before inheriting and settling Eretz Yisrael and building a base on Mikdash, the Torah is specifically telling us that that's the ideal of the relationship. And it's from there in the positive way that we should understand what Shabbos is all about. Just like the construction of the base of the Mishkan, ultimately the base of Mikdash, teaches us how to have a bonded, intimate relationship with Hashem at the highest level in this world. That's really what Shabbos is all about. That's the purpose of Shabbos. And therefore, the violation of Shabbos is the breaking of the relationship as we see depicted in the ideal, which is the building of the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people through the construction of the tabernacle. And finally, what we can then extrapolate from all this is that the, the chronology, which teaches us the ideal and the concept that the, the details of the Kohanim and the tabernacle is what's giving us insight into the relationship with Hashem that helps us tremendously to understand that this relationship that is being forged now, that began with the giving of the Torah of Har Sinai, is the relationship that is coming to its crescendo in Eretz Yisrael. And so that the very nature of the Mishkan is not, you know what, it's temporary, it's going to change, and this is not really what's meant to be in the long-term future, because what's meant to be in the long-term future is a relationship that keeps getting more and more and more ideal. That is the building block of an infinite relationship and a, a relationship that remains endlessly exciting, where we can continue to strive for a greater and greater level, which ultimately includes even overcoming damage that happens in the relationship, but it's only because we keep the original idea of the romance, so to speak, if you will, that happens at the beginning of our relationship with Hashem, we keep it alive and well. We don't end up in a situation like, tragically, people feel today, oh, my wife is a roommate, my husband doesn't really understand me, he's just like a breadwinner, I need to be in this relationship for our kids, whether it's the husband or the wife, right? Yeah, okay, it's not ideal, but you know what? I'm resigned to it. It's not horrible. It's good enough. The Torah is telling you that is not good enough whatsoever. We have to work on building a better relationship, inching or hopefully even better, growing constantly towards what is ideal and ultimately our best self-development, our most fulfilled relationship with one another and the highest servant of Hashem that we can become. That's true in our relationships in marriage and with our children and friendships. And ultimately, of course, 
in our relationship with Hashem, as the Kruvim teaches us, it's all intertwined. Our relationship with each other, as depicted by the two uh, angelic faces, on the, which really the faces of children with wings like angels, uh, that they have to have a relationship with each other in consonance in, with a relationship with Hashem, with the Torah, of course, as represented in the Ark, and the message of constantly striving for an ever higher level is why it's in the Holy of Holies. We can grow infinitely forever. The Holy of Holies is the place in this world that reminds us of the infinity of Hashem and our ability to connect to that infinity and to have infinite existence. And therefore, we always have to strive for the ideal. And God willing, with this understanding will come motivation to work on problems that seem to have become entrenched, to work on communications that have broken down, to work on overcoming our sins of the past, to build a better relationship with each other and with Hashem. Because living in that which is less than ideal is not an option. So God willing, with this mindset, we will not only grow and feel better and more fulfilled, but we will also be able to get to the level of rebuilding the Holy Temple, the third base of Mikdash in Eretz Yisrael, with Moshiach Tzidkenu Bimheru Every Shabbos we need to work on that. Every relationship we need to work on the more ideal. And God willing, as a nation, we can achieve the ultimate ideal world.